Hello, this is William Fink, and this program is being pre-recorded for Christagenia Internet Radio for Friday, August 9th, 2019. Today is Wednesday afternoon, and we have a young man named David here. I won't use his last name or, or identify him much further than that. I'll let him do that if he so desires. Today we are going to have a conversation with a young man named David, whom I only know from a few dozen posts and comments he has made on the Christagenia Forum, which he joined about eight or nine months ago. David lives in North America, but his parents came from Serbia, and he was raised rather traditionally in the Serbian Orthodox Church. It should be quite interesting to hear how and why David has forsaken the Orthodox profession and has come to understand Christian identity and what motivated him to do so in the first place. We would also like to hear of some of his experience in his community since doing so, since I have heard that he has confronted other community members with his new understanding. Over the past few years, many white nationalists have mistakenly come to think that by joining the Orthodox Church, which they nor their ancestors were never a part of, they are somehow returning to an original form of Christianity which may then cure the woes of white people everywhere. To us, that is not at all true, since the path taken by the Orthodox, as well as the Roman Catholic churches, from as early as the 5th century, or even the 4th, is what is responsible for our dilemma in the first place. So, it's not beneficial to our race or our people to return to something that was never right to begin with. So here is David, and thank you for being here. Hi, Bill. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, that's fine. We're honored to have you. It's, um, it, it's very beneficial to our listeners and potential listeners to hear the story of, of, of a young man like you that's come to this um, Christian identity awakening after being so firmly embedded in a, a traditional European Orthodox community. Uh, yeah, well, you keep saying young. I don't know if I'm that young. I'm 44 now. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know that it's unusual. That's for certain. And um as you and I discussed earlier before the show, uh, there's I don't think that there's any other Orthodox people that have come to CI. Definitely not in Canada. I if there are, I'd be very surprised. Um, so yeah, I, I I'll, I'm willing to talk about it and explain how that happened. I do have some friends that are Ukrainian that that are that that are actually um, longtime supporters. And they came to CI, and and they were also Canadian. So you're not oh, alone, pretty. entirely alone. But um, they are few, few and far between. Okay, yeah, that would make sense because there are a lot of Ukrainians in Canada. 
uh, last <laughs> I heard there's over a million are people of Ukrainian descent, right? Yes, absolutely. There's a large Ukrainian community in Canada. Mm -hmm. That there's um, websites dedicated to trying to inform people about the Holodomor that are actually Canadian based. Canadian based. They have to be careful about what they say, but they're not really talking about the nature of the culprits as much as they are the nature of the crimes. Yeah, I guess that's the trick, right? So, so tell us about your, um, I, I didn't think you were 44. You're at least 10 years older than I thought, but that's okay. <laughs> Maybe closer <laughs> to 15, but that's okay. Um, 44 is still young. It, it's still, um, a man in, in, in the prime of life. It, it's, you know, in my experience, usually people don't come to Christian identity unless they've suffered some real personal trauma in their lives and can step outside of their society and look at it objectively and, and realize that there's something wrong with it. And, and that's happened to me, but I had to go to prison. If I never went to prison, I, I can't imagine how I would have ever found Christian identity and, and had the time to study to actually prove it to myself. So when you're caught up in the world and, and you're doing well in the world, or at least getting by, because most people just get by, it's, it, it's very rare to see people come to this awakening. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, from a personal perspective, what happened, uh, well, in my life was um, I <clears throat> I basically realized that the world was a complete disaster um, when I was in my late 20s. And uh, I had really nobody else to, to talk to about it. And nobody else seemed to care. Everybody was wrapped up in what was going on. Um, I ended up getting really depressed. I became a drug addict. Uh, I was an opiate addict, so I, I have a, a an opiate like a uh, an understanding of what opiate addicts go through. Um, a lot of the time, it really is their own fault. It was my fault. But uh, after surviving that, and that was many years, that I was doing some really horrible stuff. Right, um, I started to, um, you know, step back a few thousand feet and, and examine my life. <clears throat> And I was always, even when I was a drug addict, I was still reading like pretty good stuff, right? I always liked ancient history. Um, I was still reading Orthodox Christian stuff, right? And I was, um, but you know, it still felt kind of alienated because the Orthodox Christian Church doesn't really have. There are no sermons, for example, right? Like maybe there are in some parts of the world, but I seriously doubt that there are serious sermons. Like it's basically like, come on in give us a few bucks and okay, hit the bricks, right? Listen to these songs and then beat it. Um, but I had some friends, like I have one really good friend from childhood who went to seminary, Orthodox seminary school. He graduated. He never did become a priest, but I was able to talk to him about a lot of things. And uh, in a way, see, he's so entrenched in the Orthodox. Um, and I still talk to him about it. He's so entrenched in the Orthodox way of thinking their belief that um it's really difficult to get through to them 
but I, I pick and choose my battles. Like I'll, I'll point out something just for example, let's say the phrase uh, born from above instead of born again. And, you know, I'll prove to him that that's a mistranslation. And then he'll understand that, like he'll agree with me. But then ultimately his, the bottom line for him is what does the church say? Right. So Orthodox Christians, much like uh, I'm guessing Roman Catholics, they worship the church. They worship the entity. Um, scripture is secondary. The church fathers, the especially the post-Nicene church fathers, as they call them, they are more they have more authority than the apostles. They have more authority than the prophets. And they have more authority than scripture. Uh, that's the truth about how Orthodox people think. And that's for the Orthodox people such as him who, is at, who have actually read the Bible or even own one. They, they generally do not read it. Just like they don't study it. That's for sure. Uh, most of the people I know in the community don't even own one. If they do, it's just like so they can say, you know, there's a Bible in the house. Right. Um, and they, they, they haven't read more than one page, Bill, right, in their life. And I understand that, you know, like uh, my other friends have said, to me, well, how do you read the Bible? It's so it's difficult. I like I feel like saying to them, well, you have to start somewhere. Right. Like, yeah, there's a lot of difficult things in life. I mean, did you learn how to become an engineer overnight? Right. Or whatever. Um, well, well, right. That's true. After you, after you read it for a few months, it's not so difficult anymore. But you're absolutely right. That That's my experience with um, my own Roman Catholic upbringing and the, the attitudes I see of, of all of my cousins who, who were um, Baptists or um, Lutherans. And, and it's that they worship their church and like the Baptists don't have a Pope, but they have millions of little popes that they call pastors everywhere that, that basically take the place of a Pope. They won't make a decision about scripture until they ask their pastor that they can't read something for themselves and, and see the truth or, or fault of their own doctrines unless they go ask their pastor and he'll explain it away so that it, it, they fall in line with their church doctrine. He'll just explain it away and they'll be satisfied with that. Yeah. And it's like, I've heard you say before, it's because they're, they're seeking to please man and not God. Right. Um, they, they're so afraid of being outside of a group. And I understand that that's just human nature, especially for white people. And there's some value in that being part of a group. But at some point you have to say, look, um, <laughs> you know, the truth is the truth, right? Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I, I feel really, I feel like pity for a lot of Orthodox people. They're very good people. Uh, most of them, of course. They don't know anything about scripture. Um, you know, they, they do these services, for example, at least they do here in Canada. They do it in other languages. Okay, so for example, yeah, my parents came here from a small village in Serbia, right? And a lot of the old people still speak Serbian, but they speak English. All the people in my generation and the ones younger, English is their primary language. Most of them don't even speak very well, like speak Serbian very well. So why are they doing these uh, ceremonies and these rituals in these masses in Serbian or old church Slavonic? I mean, I, I my parents even told me they don't even know what's going on with what's being said half the time. Right. And that's their first language. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll throw in like 2% 
of the service will be in English just to say, yeah, we threw in some English, right? Um, they don't, they never ever encourage anyone in the congregation uh, to study scripture at all, right? That's like, that's the last thing they would ever say. Um, so I, I was, I was actually talking to a man that grew up in Cleveland, also serving the Senate. He's 73 years old. And, and I met him for the first time a couple of weeks ago at a social gathering here. And he said, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Cleveland, all of the services were in English, right? And the choir would speak English or sing in English. And everybody spoke English. And we could understand what was being said because they stopped doing that around the 70s and 80s. And they, they keep importing all these priests from Serbia or sometimes they'll be from Bulgaria, right? And these guys will purposely not speak English. And he said, look, that sows division in the community. And I know from my own uh, experience, I've spoken to a lot of people here in Canada that, that say, I don't even go to the Orthodox. They're, they're still Orthodox. They don't go to the Serbian churches because they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's being said. They're raising their children. They want them to hear something and understand what's being said. If you look at kids' faces in the churches, in, in these Orthodox churches, you know, they're just like, when the hell is this going to end, right? Because they don't even know what's going on. You know, there's all this incense burning and... You know, bells ringing, and they, they're just like not interested at all. And then as they get older, they just separate from the community, right? You can't really blame them. No, you can't. There's no, um, there's no bond to the material. Why am I in church in the first place? Because tradition makes me do it. And, and it's even though it, it's the family bond, I believe that keeps young people or the next generation going to church as soon as they're grown up and out on their own they're, they're going to abandon that church unless they're engaged in it somehow if if the language is all foreign to them and everything's foreign to them how could they become engaged with it i, I don't know it's the roman catholics have the same experience um i believe it was vatican ii that after Vatican II, the masses no longer had to be in Latin, and the masses were all in English after that. I don't remember Latin masses except for um, Christmas Eve, right? The high mass, they called it, would be in Latin. The other 52 weeks of the year, it, it would be in English mass, but it, it still wasn't really anything that, that was... Um, edifying or had some meat to it the the priest would give a sermon in english for about 15 minutes on some moral issue usually it was drunkenness or drugs or something that was easy to pick on that wouldn't offend anybody and after that it, it was like you said a couple of songs and it's over so there was no bible no scripture no connection to scripture whatsoever you mentioned these church fathers, and, and I tried to make a lot of points of this in, in my um, podcast, wherever I address orthodoxy, is that they don't even have any respect for early church fathers. The church That's fathers right. of the second century, the third century, they ignore all of them. And, and they only follow so-called church fathers from the fourth and fifth centuries. Yeah, after the Gnostic takeover of the Catholic Church, right? I mean, that's what I view the Council of Nicaea as. Um, like, um, 
Arrhenius wrote about about that and against heresies. He's he was basically primarily talking about what was happening. These Gnostics were taking over pagans, combining Christianity uh, together, and uh, you know, in my view, that's Gnosticism. Uh, and and then the Great Schism of 1054 between the uh, what's now the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. That was basically a Gnostic mafia turf war, right? That's what happened. Um, you know, there is they're all about uh, we want power over here, and you guys are pretty far away, and it takes time to travel over there, so we can do it, and vice versa, right? Uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's depressing to think of it in that way, but not just the rituals and the ceremonies are based in a lot of pagan um, traditions. The very belief itself, like the Orthodox Church, always injects Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and a bunch of other clowns into their Christianity. You know, you can read, if you read Orthodox websites, you'll see that every now and then they'll be asked a question like somebody with the title of Metro- Metropolitan or something or Archbishop. And then he'll, he'll re- respond by quoting Aristotle, you know, and this is a question about Christian theology. And then that's his response. Like he couldn't quote one of the apostles or the prophets apparently. Yeah, I, I haven't worked out an entire thesis on it yet, but in, in my own studies the last five, six years, and, and you, you know, the church fathers really weren't um, available to me the whole time I was in prison. Um, I read some Tertullian and, and maybe one treatise from Irenaeus. I read a, a bunch of treatises from Tertullian, Minucius Felix, people like that, um, that are, were available from the Loeb Classical Library. But that was about it. That was my entire... I, I read some Justin Motter. I read his dialogue with Trifo and things like that. Well, well I've been able to, to, to do a whole lot more reading these last eight to ten years that, than I did my first ten years of study. And I've actually been able to read a lot of um, Origen and Clement of Alexandria and Irenaeus, these attacks, Irenaeus against the Gnostics, now, I don't believe Irenaeus's doctrines were perfect, but they were probably a lot better than those of Clement of Alexandria and Origen in, in a lot of ways, or Tertullian in a lot of ways. Irenaeus's diatribes against the Gnostics are not um, against this lost cult in Egypt. The Gnostics are not a lost cult. Clement of Alexandria was a Gnostic and very steeped in Gnosticism, and he did not shed all of it when he came to Christianity. And and Gnosticism carried on through him and through Origen. And a lot of these Gnostic ideas, the mixing of paganism, the reconciliation of paganism and the Hebrew Bible and Christianity, that is older than the Gnostics, that's as old, at least as old as Philo, Philo Judaeus, who was also a Gnostic. I, I, I believe he was a Gnostic. I believe he was a proto-Gnostic Philo, because he was doing the same things that the Gnostics were doing a hundred years after him, which was trying to reconcile the Hebrew scriptures with the Greek pagan writers. And and that's one 
um, <clears throat> one evil of Gnosticism and the other evil, so far as I'm concerned, is the perversion of the meanings of words. The spiritualizing of terms is basically a Gnostic, something that the Gnostics were doing. And where they didn't accept the literal meaning of something, they simply spiritualized it to mean something ethereal, like a father is only a spiritual leader instead of an ancestor, things like that. So I believe that that's an element of Gnosticism also. And, and I believe that the, Gnostics, the Gnostics were basically just um, Neoplatonists that were Jews, <laughs> at least the original ones. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have to um, incorporate the spiritual um, idea into Christianity because the tenets of uh, paganism, really, in my opinion, are race mixing, materialism, uh, feminism and, and so forth. So, of course, they're going to make it they're going to hate the idea of being pure, right? Like race, racially pure. Um and uh, I think that's how they incorporated it into it, by making it all spiritual. And then after some time, they, they started changing the, the, uh, the, the translations, um, which, you know, I, I didn't even know that that occurred. <clears throat> that was a, a big thing for me, is once I started realizing, listening to your podcast and understanding that, you know, these words were changed. Like, um, there's so many of them, right? The King James Version... You know, as CI people know, it's so full of mistakes, right? And, and sometimes on purpose. I think that's the, that's what they had to do in order to, you know, push their agenda. And now, you know, like for example, the Orthodox Church, they, they consider themselves to be the Orthodox Catholic Church, right? If you just go to like, let's say a Wikipedia page, that's what their official title is. They call themselves the Orthodox Catholic Church. They tend to drop the Catholic word because it confuses people, right? Because so they just call themselves the Orthodox Church. So recently, a friend of mine, one time, uh, I'd say a year ago, he he texted me and he said, "Look, I just got a mass text from the priest." All right. So he sent it out to many people, and in it, he described the Orthodox Church as the Apostolic Universalist Church. And my friend said, "What do you make of this?" What? And I, and I explained to him what "catoholos" means, right? Which, which again, I learned from your work. And that, and how that happened, and, and that it's, it's a, it was about accepting scripture as a whole. And it has nothing to do with universalism, right? Especially, so you would think that you know he would like respond to me, or talk. he he did not want to hear that. He was just wondering what the word meant. And then all the times when I've seen him since, and he won't bring it up, right? So I don't bring it up. I don't like I see him. You know, he's enslaved to the corporate world, so I really don't have much time. <laughs> I mean, when I'm with him, I we're just catching up, right? Uh, I don't want to bother him too much. I'd like to, but he's not, you know, most people, most people I know, they, they don't want to hear anything that um, opposes the, the Orthodox Church teachings. Uh, when I do say something that opposes them, uh, I've been already called a traitor to the church by a few people. And, but they will never argue on substance, which I know CI people are, are course very familiar with that and that happens within white nationalist circles all the time they won't argue on substance everything's some sort of uh emotional you know response so it's quite frustrating but i'm getting better at it anyway i'm getting getting better at dealing with it too 
Well, well, I think we have to wind back a little bit. You're you're 29 years old. You're disenchanted with the world. You understand it's all falling apart. You ended up on opiates then. Yeah. How, how did you pull yourself out of that mess? Actually, Bill, I didn't. Because um, I tried to quit at say about 30 times. And sometimes it would be like a few days. Sometimes it was a few months. I went to a couple of rehabs and some detoxes and none of this worked, right? And then uh, I had a really severe overdose one time. I mean, I had a few, but like a really severe one where I smashed my head and everything, right? Passed out on the floor in a locked bathroom in Niggerville, right? I don't even know how they found me. And after that, uh, <clears throat> I never really considered doing drugs ever again, Um you know, I, I never, it never even, which was the problem with quitting opiates is that you're always thinking that you can handle going back to it, doing it every now and then. That's very common, I find, right? With me and other people that were addicted, like you can control it, right? And, uh, and you miss it and you think about it a lot when you're, when you've quit. But after that experience, I never, I can honestly say I never once considered doing it. Like I would think sometimes about what I did, like a lot reflected on uh, my behavior and what I did over the years, but I never ever considered actually taking opiates again. I won't even take aspirin now, right? I won't even take acetaminophen. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't, I have no desire for it whatsoever. And so I don't really know how it happened. Um, yeah, I don't know how that changed. I could say, yeah, well, I smashed my head and, and almost died, but that happened like, even not the smashing the head thing, but I, I overdosed many times and survived through it. And it didn't matter. I kept going back, you know, and doctors would say to me, you know, you're going to die if you keep doing this. Right. And I would say, yes, I know that. Like, can I, can I go now? Right. Like I wasn't really interested in, in hearing that. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that's it. That, that's so you, you, you were literally hit in the head in, in order to come to this understanding. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, uh, I, um, I I passed out and hit a uh, sink, like my head hit a sink in a bathroom, right? I still have the scar, prove it. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was an incoming phone call while I am on a Skype call. I've never had that before in, in 10 years of using Skype for internet radio. And it's supposed to automatically go on to do not disturb. So I'm sorry about the interruption there with the, the telephone ringing. That, that's incredible. I, I don't even know how to rectify that problem right now. I'm sorry. So, so you were literally hit in the head to receive some sort of awakening, some sort of call to something different. That's amazing because I used to always use that at, as, a, um, as an analogy that, that people don't, awaken to search for truth until they receive some hit in the head right <laughs> and so, some yeah. kind of call yeah. to get them out of their, their their life usually it's somebody wrapped up in the corporate world that undergoes some sort of trauma usually a personal financial trauma or a trauma with law enforcement or a divorce or something like that that brings them to a point of despair where they begin searching for truth. And, and in my experience, that usually happens when somebody's in prison. So you were spared that. You were saved from, from that, from taking that path, which is, 
in itself a blessing, even though you still suffered from um, the, the, the effects of your own disenchantment with society. Is that a yeah, good analogy? I, is that a good summary? I believe it is. It is a very good summary. Um, I'd like to mention how I came to CI though specifically, if you don't mind. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, we, we have to find that out. Were you a white nationalist first, or, or can you go through the steps? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I really realized that the Jews, you know, what they were up to, to some degree, back in like 1999, okay? And uh, then I went through all these things, you know, with drug abuse and so forth, drug addiction. And I really didn't care. I was like, everything's going to burn, so what the hell? I might, I might as well have a good time in the meantime, right? And then after I came out of that, I was, uh, I started to read more about, like, a lot of the people that were considered, uh, I guess, pioneers in white nationalism, uh, like Codriano and uh, William Luther Pierce and um, those sorts of people. And in 2016, I, uh, I, was, I discovered the Daily Stormer website. And I started reading that, I think, in the spring. By the summer, I joined the forum, and I was pretty active on it. And that was the first time where I had ever heard, because there were, there were a lot of people on the forum at that time, I don't think there still are, that were CI, and they were posting a lot. And that was the first time that I'd ever heard of the concept of CI, right? And I, did, I knew in my heart that it was true immediately. I could recognize that, but I was fighting it because it was going against my orthodox programming right um so i kind of put it off like i thought it was interesting uh, i could see that they were getting attacked left right and center right everybody who posted anything like that got attacked but again never on substance it was just on we we're not the real jews like okay <clears throat> how many how many uh, thousands of times are you going to say that right right um it, it gets old and then yeah it gets really old because it's like that's not even what we're saying, right? Uh, so, in, and then Radio Aryan uh, was affiliated with that site at the time. And I started listening to it and I thought that it was, I liked its content. Uh, RA's content was much better than all the other uh, podcasts, right? I, I thought, and well, I still do. But I started listening to that and I joined the chat room there, I'd say by the fall. So that was 2016. And started talking to Sven and a few others. And, uh, but I, I, I heard some of his work. So a lot of his work, not a lot, but some of it would mention CI and I thought it was interesting. And again, because I had some background as a hobby investigating or researching ancient history, like ancient Sumeria and stuff like that, I really enjoyed, um, throughout the years reading about that, right? Everything I could, and I, I thought it was interesting. I knew that they were white. Like I, I, there was no question that they were white. I understood that India was white or Northwest India and Pakistan and uh, Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan. These places were all white and I got that. But I never really considered that Israel, ancient Israel, could have been white people, which, you know, once I realized that from his podcast, I started thinking about it like, well, how come I never even thought of that? Right. Like I knew Syria was white. I knew Lebanon used to be white. I knew Egypt used to be white. But apparently this one little pocket, right, which I have heard that, you know, you've said that to you and other people. But I, I, I don't know. I just, it, so it struck me like I'm going to have to look into this. And I, I started asking Sven in the chat room, like, 
questions, but I was trying to really um, disprove CI, which I know that a lot of people have come to CI by trying to disprove it because I've spoken to a few people about that. The same thing happened to me. I was trying to disprove it, but every time I would ask him a question, um, I would look at his answer objectively and, and realize that he's right. And after maybe, I don't know, a, a dozen or so questions, I started realizing a couple of things. A, I don't even actually know what CI is. I just think I do. And, and B, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Like, right? there, there has to be something to this. And that's when I, I started, but I was still putting it off, right? So even after realizing that, now we're talking like early 2017, I still did not, I wasn't interested in having my orthodox worldview shattered, right? Um, and so it wasn't until I went to Florida in December of 2017 to visit my parents. They, they vacationed, they lived there for the winter. And I had three weeks on my hands and I listened to uh, Beginnings and Ends, the show, the series you did with Don Fox. And uh, after listening to that, I realized that I'm going to have to, like, I, I was, I really wanted to, to find out more about it. So I began listening to the historical podcast first, especially the Mein Kampf Project was the first one I listened to. I listened to every podcast on the Mein Kampf Project in order that spring of 2018 and uh, and then I listened to all the historical podcasts, but I mixed in um, explaining Two Seed Line, the series you did, where Clifton Emma Heiser was your guest uh, sometimes. Okay. And so that was my fundamental basic understanding, and, and then I've, I've gone from there. But see, for me, it had to be a historical thing first, right? It wasn't. Uh, I didn't really get the theology, like the the. Yeah, um, I didn't understand that that part of it. Quite yet. Right. It's very difficult to understand the theology unless you un understand the history and accept the history. Because the mm -hmm. theology is meaningless without the history. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you can't take a nigger out of the jungle and, and put him in Kansas and feed him uh, um, any, anything American. It, it, what does it mean to him? It doesn't mean anything to him. I mean, they force that today, right? They adopt these kids. They raise them as their own. That that they feed them um, Yankee Baptist culture and and theology, and and the kids end up stabbing their mothers to death and robbing a bank, or, or running somebody over by a car, yeah. fleeing from a burglary. It, it, it's that that's how they end up. I, I mean, it's almost always a train wreck. If you don't have the history down and understand that it is your history, the theology is meaningless. Yeah, and, you know, the, the Jews have made our history to be so, uh, they, they've, they've completely mixed it, right? Like, there's always some truth and then a whole bunch of bullshit, right? That's, what, that's how they do it. And they, they teach that in the schools. They teach it on, uh, you know, the electric Jews broadcasting that all day long, all night long, too. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, people won't read the original source materials. They don't read old books, right? They, they read new stuff, right? They'll go to Barnes and & Noble and, and you know, buy something written by some guy three years ago, which is uh, based on uh, the subterfuge that they've already, you know, you know, flooded our history with, our supposed history with. So it, it's it's frustrating, right? But I, I was I was I think that that helps probably the most. The fact that I I did have some bit of an understanding of ancient history, and when I I got into the migration patterns, like 
um, you know, how they migrated into Europe, the ancient Israelites, then I could see from other things that I'd known that this all makes sense. You know, we weren't sitting up there in the caves, you know, in freezing cold temperature like they make us believe, doing nothing, right? That we had no, no apparently we had no alphabet. Yeah, we had no alphabet. We couldn't count past like, uh, you know, 39. And, and <clears throat> we didn't build any art or any sustainable society. And we froze our asses off because we liked it that way. And then all of a sudden things changed, right? For no apparent reason, about two and a half thousand years ago. Um, that, that's, I, I, these people would think that our Germanic or Slavic ancestors sat in the frozen tundra for 30,000 years with no infrastructure. <laughs> and no achievements or accomplishments. Maybe they belong to, to, to be slaves to the Jews. If you believe that, you belong as a slave to a Jew. You, you don't deserve anything better if you believe that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know, I guess. <laughs> the, the world's greatest engineers, the world's greatest um, race the last 2,000 years, sat for 30,000 years in the ice and did nothing? Come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I could never understand how anybody could accept that. And and people like David Duke just spew that stuff out of their mouths and, and nobody ever challenges them. Yeah, I, I think he just doesn't know. He doesn't get it. You know, he's the type of guy. A lot of these other guys, they just don't get it. Like they, um, I don't think that they're doing it on purpose. Um, they can't hear, you know, um, uh, I don't know how else to describe it. So that, that, I, I don't know. It's just, they're doing it. it. It, right. I don't think they're doing it on purpose, but, but they're doing it purposely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that they don't stop to think yeah. of, of how ridiculous the proposition is. I guess that they say that we have ridiculous propositions. Oh, we were created by God 7,000 years ago. What are you kidding me? It, yeah. You know, they, they, they mock what we believe, but what they believe it is certainly no better. And, and in many ways it's a lot more ridiculous because they believe that we came from evolution. So, Right, and, and these guys will say that they're Christians, right? But then they're they're actually contradicting the timeline that we have, let's say from the Septuagint, for example, which says Adam was around 7,000 years ago, right? You can actually do the math. It's not that complicated. You can see how old everybody lived. It was mentioned. So how can you be a Christian and then believe in this sort of uh, evolution for man, like for the white man? It, it makes no sense. Either you are or you aren't. You know, you're saying that, uh, no, I'm a Christian – but this part of the Bible is bullshit, you know, like, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, actually, I do get it because I was like that at one, at one time. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, now everything seems so silly. Like, there's so many contradictions. And the whole race thing, like, apparently, you know, any Orthodox Christian or even Catholic, I, I, they will agree with you that Noah lived around 5,000 years ago, right? And that was uh, when the flood was. And there was only him and his family. And then... All of a sudden, within the last 5,000 years, we've got niggers and gooks and everything else and white people. and But they still believe in evolution, which tells them that that takes like hundreds of thousands of years, even millions of years to happen. So how did it happen so magically in such a short period of time? 
especially since we know that there were these other races two and three thousand years ago. So apparently in that short period of time of a couple thousand years, all these other races popped out of Noah's uh, descendants. Right? It, it doesn't make any sense at all. So, so what does the typical um, Serbian Orthodox think about creation or evolution? Well, they, they, they usually deny it, right? They don't agree with it. They, um, yeah, they don't, they're not, they're creationists. Okay. So the young creationists, like the Roman Catholics, perhaps? Yeah, like in, 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 in that respect. But uh, that's why, like what I was just saying, uh, but then you can't explain why there's other races, right? Like they're, they don't have that ability to really explain how that happened. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, most of them don't believe. I mean, I'm talking about, like, for example, my friend graduated from seminary school, right? He is definitely thinks evolution is complete nonsense. But the typical person in the community will, you know, I guess that's really how I should have answered your question. Because I shouldn't be basing on, on, on someone like him. It, the typical person does believe in evolution. Right? Even if they didn't. And, and they don't think... Pardon? Even if they deny it, they believe in it. They're in denial. I mean, if you think that a, a, a black could be born from a white or a white could be born from a brown or a yellow, you're basically believing in evolution. Yeah, it's cognitive dissonance, you know, to the highest degree. Um, and in so many aspects, in so many regards, that is, you know, all Christians have that problem. All people in the world cognitive dissonance is believing in two completely different things at the same time i mean that's just everywhere right absolutely it's, and that's one thing that I, that I love about ci is it puts everything into perspective you understand the truth and everything makes sense there there are really no i mean there's a lot to learn and study but there's no more massive cognitive dissonance you don't have to worry about these things these contradictions these conflictions in your mind uh, you know, the Bible makes sense. It's logical. It's linear from A to B, you know, or sorry, A to Z there. It's um, it's unbelievable. That's another thing, too, I, I was hoping to mention is like Orthodox Christians generally do not. The ones who do know both their Bible are, are, you know, to some degree, which is very few of them. They do not like the Old Testament and they, they see it as a confliction. And so coming back to what I said earlier about Gnosticism, because Gnostics believe in like the Demiurge. Uh, or Demiurgos, uh, there was this Old Testament God that created material, right. and then he's somehow different from Jesus or from Yahshua Christ. He's he's different, right? Uh, he's sort of the same but different. And they 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 sort of believe in that because they see so many contradictions from the Old to the New Testament that they're really falling for Gnosticism, right? And again, that, that's what that's what they are, right? All those like Freemasonry, for example, they're Gnostics. Yes, you know. And the Demiurge is one of the very first things that, that you'll learn about if you become a Freemason, right? It's in their literature. Well, well absolutely, absolutely. There's no doubt in, in my mind that the Roman Catholic Church is basically based in um, Gnosticism and Neoplatonism. And, and Gnosticism and Neoplatonism, I, I'm really beginning to think of the same thing anyway. Yeah. Neoplatonism is the, um, it's like Judaism and Freemasonry, right? 
that Neoplatonism is the Gentile wing of Gnosticism. In, in my mind, that's how it's starting to formulate. And, and Gnosticism is, are, are the Jews at Alexandria who sought to pervert Christianity and had a lot of influence over later so-called church fathers who, who happened to prevail after the Council of Nicaea. That this idea yep. of priest isn't, isn't even in Christian literature for 300 years, this Christian priest thing. It, it just pops up around the time of um, Eusebius of Caesarea. It, it's not in Irenaeus or Tertullian or Justin Martyr. Yeah, right. It's the pagan priesthood, and they, they uh, you know, they just converted to some degree. They, they uh, like I, I've, I've heard you describe, they, um, they were able, to, able to stomach Christianity once they made it universalist, right? And they think corrupted it. Right, and and added their um their their sacramental rituals to it, so that they could have a job, so that they could perpetuate their own authority and position in the community. Yeah, like uh, these ceremonies, for example, like Orthodox Christians, they do the blessing of the house, right? So wherever you live or the home you live in, he'll come over like once a year. And bless the house, and then you give him some money, right? And that's what it's really about. Of course, he'll come over for for one hour, and then you know he sings his song in like double speed, right? Because he wants to do it really quick, because he has to go to John's house down the street next, right? right? So he's gonna he, he's gonna knock off eight people in one day, right? Exactly. And they keep <laughs> and they keep all that money, like that's not that's on top of their salary, and this is completely tax free. That's where they really make their money, okay? I remember the last time I was at my parents' house when that happened. So the priest, you know, pulls up in his Lexus, his brand new Lexus, and he comes in and he does his little thing and he sits down for a coffee and he starts talking about real estate, the real estate market and the real estate prices to my parents and, uh, and how much did you pay for your place in Florida and how was the neighborhood uh, and maybe I should buy one, right? Are there any houses for sale? Can I? see it here on Google. You know, I got tired of this conversation. I left the room. A few minutes later, my mother came out. Uh, I was outside. She grabbed me. So the priest wants to ask you something, right? So I'm thinking, okay, great. Maybe he wants to talk about something to do with Christianity. I come in the room. He's staring at his, his iPhone. And he's like, I, uh, I understand you know something about the stock market, right? Because I used to work in banking, right? Unfortunately. Right? And he's like, uh, I'd like to ask you about the stock. And he passes me the phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> so like, wow. you know, so I said, no, I, I don't know anything about that anymore. That was a long time ago. Right. But he, the, my point is he comes over once a year and his whole, the whole topic of his meeting is how to make more money. Right. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I'm surprised he didn't take a tally and, and give you a bill for a tithe because I, I, I've had that. I, I, I had that in my own experience with the Catholic church in New Jersey. That they actually... They give value your home estimate the value of your home and and deduce your income from that and demand 10 percent. oh wow <laughs> that's awful catholic that that was saint michael's catholic church bayonne new jersey did that in the early 90s sent me a letter 
my, my um, children attended public school, but they, they, they were baptized and I, I was just going through the motions. They were raised Catholic. They were baptized and did communion and in, in this Catholic church. We never attended mass. We never went on Sunday, but because we went through those motions of those sacraments that we think that kids are supposed to have or, or that we've had for generations, so we just do it. They hit us with this letter demanding a tithe of 10% of what they thought my income was. And they demanded it. It, it was crazy. And I'm like, they, they got to They could flip off. I didn't send them a dime. <laughs> they had much more money than I will ever have. That that's um, it, it's a business basically. The whole priesthood thing was a business in the ancient world. It it was a business at the time of Christ. It was a business that Christianity should have should have put an end to. And instead, they found a way through this th through this adoption of Gnosticism, Neoplatonism, and and they found a way to pervert the meanings of all these words and get themselves back into power. And it's still a business, and 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 they've been screwing people since seventy five hundred BC, I guess, maybe <laughs> seventy four hundred. Yeah, it's it, it started right in the beginning. That they have an incredible amount of control over the people in in their communities, like you said, people worship the church. How, how much have you seen in 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 um? real-life day-to-day affairs that people won't defend the church or refer to the priest as an authority? I'm asking, right? Oh, well, you see that all the time. Um, I, um, what comes to mind is, so a few weeks ago, I was at a um, like a large picnic gathering. There was a, uh, a Lambros. There was over a 1,000 people there at this picnic grounds in a banquet hall. Uh, so the archbishop comes and he's walking around with like five or six of these priests and they're, they're like a gang walking around. They're being escorted by two uniformed cops. Right. And uh, at first I thought, what is he afraid of? Right. He's among his own congregation. What's, and then I realized he's not afraid of anything. He just wants to look important. Right. So they hired these cops to do overtime on Sunday. To, <laughs> wow. And, you know, cops in Canada make a lot of money, at least they do in Ontario. And, you know, if they're working on a Sunday, I'm telling you, they're making at least 100 bucks an hour. Right. Uh, probably. So probably. <clears throat> he, uh, yes, probably. No problem. Yeah. Uh, he's walking around. And I mentioned that to, uh, for example, the, that man I was talking to that, that I mentioned earlier from Cleveland. 73 years old and I, and I observed what I just explained and I said that to him but you know that he didn't he didn't really that was like going a little too far right that's the, the general impression I had from him because you're not supposed to insult the archbishop right so he was he was making fun of the parish priests you know and saying that they sow divisions but you, you can't really go to that next level right um, there was a, a speaker there that they gave a speech about nationalism and all the priests were on the dais because, of course, they have to have the most important seat in the house, right? Just like, uh, <laughs> just like Jesus, just like Yahshua said, right? Like they have to be at the most important. Exactly. Yeah. It, it nothing's <laughs> changed. Yeah, it's beware of these guys, right? But apparently, nobody knows that, so it's okay. 
And all of them were hanging their heads. It was a great speech uh, without going into details, but he was talking about um, just the new world order and how it's, you know, it's coming to an end and you can see that the European Union is going to collapse shortly. These priests did not like that, right? Not at all. And then nobody else in the crowd did either, except for me and a few of my friends. Um, <laughs> you know, they, there was no applause for that speech. Let me tell you. Well, well, I see in social media all the time these so-called Orthodox Christians, and and a lot of them are American Protestants that turn to Orthodoxy, thinking it's a nationalist solution. And they're in social media defending Orthodoxy, saying that Orthodoxy upholds national boundaries and this and that. And, and that's nothing's further from the truth. It's a lie. That's right. You know, I think that like a very common uh, theme in white nationalism is, well, the Orthodox Church is the least cucked, right? Okay, so they have something going for them, which is that they're not as cucked as the other guys, but they're still cucked, right? Like it's not, you know, and that the only reason that that's occurred is because the, the uh, nations where the Orthodox Church is predominant, Eastern Europe, have been poorer for, you know, the last, I don't know, 150 years or so, if not more, generally speaking. So, I mean, if, if, if it was the opposite, if, if the perceived wealth that the West has was occurring in the East, it would have been the same deal. People would have been turning to, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's the way I, I look at it. Um, well, well, the truth is, to, to me, and, and if you study the scripture, you find that the ecclesia, the church, is the people. The church is not some organization. And if your church is your people, you're a Christian. If your church is some um, hierarchical organization with its center of power, and authority overseas belonging to another people, and that's your church, you're cucked. There's no greater cuck than you if you consider some foreigner, some foreign organization to have power over you, and you're giving them that power, and you see them as the, the um, church, you're cucked. You can't get more cucked than that. Right. And not even to mention that you're um, contradicting what Paul said, right, in his epistles about the structure of the communities. Right? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, again, they ignore that. But the thing is, they they generally don't even know, right? That That's my whole point is the, nobody reads their Bibles. They don't own them. Right. They, they don't, but it's... I'm sorry. It's not only reading the Bible, but it's understanding how these churchmen that made these Bible translations actually corrupted the meanings of certain words to uphold their own authority. Like the word diakonos, which is Greek. Diakonos can be minister in some passages, servant in other passages, and... and um, deacon in some passages and and it looks like in english like it's different terms meaning different things it's all the same word 
and, and they take advantage of their translations to uphold their own authority. But the translations are faulty in the first place, and the understandings of the meanings of the words are faulty in the first place. That this word yeah. church it is the the way the word is um, used in English isn't found at all in the Greek. It's crazy, but but people re, they don't study. They listen to their pastors. They listen to their priests. They worship their pastors, their priests, and hand over all of the authority that they should have in their own hands to these foreign potentates. And when you hand over authority to a foreign potentate, you're basically, when you volunteer to do that, you're cucking your people. You know, I'll give you an example like a, of what you just described, how far it can go. Right? There was a, an archbishop here in the Serbian. He was the archbishop of Canada, beginning probably in the early 90s, late 80s. And he lasted around 20 years. This guy was stealing so much money that eventually everybody in the community knew about it. Um, he, he got caught, I'll give you an example. He got caught at the airport uh, flying back to Serbia with like $200,000 and $100 bills rolled up in his cane, right? Like I, I knew the man. He didn't actually have a cane, right? He just you know figured, all this is how I'll get through customs. He got caught for that. Um, he, the church is set up as a corporation here, right? All the, all the church property and assets are owned by a corporation. He went to the bank and because, you know, they didn't know what was going on. Like, okay, here's an account with a few million bucks in it. He ended up gaining signing authority, which was, I guess, in this corporation, he might have forged some documents. A bunch of people had to sign to withdraw money. And he ended up over a period of time getting the rights to withdraw all the money. While this was happening, the uh, authorities in, in Belgrade in Serbia, they, they knew what was happening, but they didn't do anything. They didn't, they didn't stop it in any way, but they, they didn't, um, you know, um, punish him in any manner. Uh, and then he was having plenty of affairs on the side. Okay. Uh, with women and in the Orthodox church, these guys who go into the executive branches are supposed to be, they take a vow of celibacy, right? They don't get married. Okay. Uh, they're not supposed to have uh, sex. So he was doing that, and that was another thing that came out. And <laughs> I'll tell you something funny is one of the nuns who knew what was going on with that um, started beating him with a stick one day, okay, in Windsor, Ontario. He was at some – she came up to him and started beating him with a stick. Somebody filmed it, and that film made it to America's honey, uh, Funniest Home Videos. Uh, it was actually on TV of a nun beating up this priest, right? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and, you know, he didn't – he still didn't get um, he, taken out of his role as Archbishop of Canada and the church. It took uh, a bunch of people in the community to write a mass newsletter, like, uh, explaining all the things he had done financially. They weren't even talking about his behavior, like, in other regards, and sent it out to everyone and uh, threatened to sue him and the church. And then they finally removed him. But, of course, they didn't fire him. They just, uh, you know, made him retire early and come back to Europe type of thing, right, and replaced him. Um, but so, again, see, even through all that, that lasted like a good 15 to 20 years. 
it took a hell of a lot for people to actually say to do something about it you know um so when you say that they worship these guys or they they don't question their authority that's absolutely true well that's incredible but i, I mean the entire history of the um, Roman Catholic Church in, in America and, and Europe is riddled with examples of that same thing, where, where basically these priests are, are, are above the law um, until it, it gets to a certain point where, the, where they have, um, where, where they're cornered, where there's so much evidence against them that they're absolutely cornered, and, and they still very often get away without punishment for their crimes. I don't know how many generations of American boys have been corrupted by Roman Catholic priests, but but it, it's um it, it's a huge cancer on our society. I, I idleness, idolatry. It, it's that they're idolaters. It, it's um the the sin is many layers deep to be a Roman Catholic priest in the first place. How, how, and, and it's all contrary to scripture. Paul of Tarsus wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that unless you have raised your own children and managed your own family well, you can't be a servant of God and of the church of God. But everything that these churches do, Catholic and Orthodox, is absolutely contrary to everything the Scripture says. And, and this, the, the, New, the New Testament itself constantly admonishes us to search the Scriptures, to study, to um, read the Scriptures, that the Scriptures were for our learning and edification, but... All of these churches reject the scriptures and, and don't want, these traditional churches don't want that their people to become well-versed in scripture. They resist that. When they do preach on scripture, it's one verse taken out of context and, and given um, a, a storyline or a narrative set into a narrative that it often doesn't even relate to. In, in order that they can control the people rather than actually educate and edify them as to Christianity. It, it's yeah. I'm sorry. We could probably go on with problems with orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism yeah. all day or, or for a week. <laughs> <laughs> you said you had some questions for me. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, one that comes to mind is, so I was reading Christ Reich, and uh, I've also listened to your podcast, um, your series on um, the book of Revelations. So I, I was just asking for a clarification on the first beast is the Roman system, right? The imperial system. Is that correct? Well, well right. The or, series of empires which culminated with Rome. Yes. That's how I see right. it. And, and Daniel described that in... in uh, as the fourth, uh, the fourth empire. Um, Rome was the culmination of Daniel's description of one beast with, with four body parts. And, and that's the first beast of revelation. 
Okay, so, but would the um, establishment of the Catholic Church, could that be considered the first beast? Because um, the second beast makes the um, makes people worship the first beast. And as we were saying earlier, they worship the church. Would that, is that basically, is it, you kind of say something like that in the book. I don't know. I was. Uh, well, well, the church is basically the same imperial system. It, it's okay. Ba basically, it, it's reframed and, and redesigned around um, the, this church religion rather than around secular government. But if you really understand Rome, you'll understand that Romans were forced to worship the emperor, to make sacrifices and pledges of allegiance to the emperor. And the church government, the system of church government installed after the fall of Rome with its cardinals and its bishops, these... Um, there's a lot of things in the language of, of, of the church, um, <clears throat> the diocese, that these are the, the diocese system and other words used of church government. The word cleric, okay, a cleric in ancient Athens was an allotment holder, a cleric would be appointed in all of the overseas possessions of the Athenians. You would be sent to some Athenian colony in Africa, and you would be appointed as cleric. And you're basically a clerk or someone who, who monitors the, the um, and, and keeps and governs this allotment on behalf of the Athenian people. Well, why does the church use this word cleric? All of these clerics are basically monitoring these parishes and governing them for the church in Rome. It's the same system. It's, I see. it's Roman imperialism um, re-described under the auspices of the church. It's the same system. It's no different. And and it it was um the 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 popes were appointing kings at one time. The popes a, a king couldn't last as king if he didn't have the um if he didn't have the approval of the pope. And and the popes and, and kings struggled against the popes and, and the popes all got involved in the Middle Ages in the the politics of Europe and supporting one king against another because they were trying to manipulate it to maintain their control over all the kingdoms and principalities of Europe. And they did. They did maintain that control until the time of Napoleon. So I don't I don't know how even though it was described in different terms, I don't know how the Roman Catholic Church wasn't just a perpetuation of Roman imperialism. Um, I have one other question about um, the Gete, the people known as Gete. Yeah, that's a that that's a difficult question. Because it can't really be answered, but that's okay. Go on. Are, is it possible that they were the tribe of Gad? Um, 
Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say no, but I'm not going to agree because it's very difficult. Like where the Jutes, the tribe of Judah, is that where they got the name from? It's possible, but it can't be proven. Where the Gete, the tribe of Gad, I, I would say it's not impossible, but it cannot be proven. That's all I could say. The Gede seem to be, they seem to be Scythians that moved in sort of with the Thracians. And that, that's okay. That, that fulfills the, um, it's a partial fulfillment of the prophecy that Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. And that must have happened by the 6th century, by the beginning of the 6th century BC, end of the 7th that Scythians came into Thrace, which was Tiras, a Japhethite tribe, and became dominant there. But the um, other ancient writers claimed that the Gete were Thracians, so even that's a little murky. I don't accept that the Gete were Thracians, but other writers do say that. Okay. Um... I guess that, well, I had one other question. It's kind of the same thing, but the Mas Masagete, um, is it possible that they were a mixture of Masek and Gad? Well, well the, the Masagete, no, I don't accept that as a, um, the Masagete are the greater Gede as far as yeah. I, I, I've seen in ancient Greek writings. The, the, um, the Masagete, I actually see that word Saka in Masagate, right? Masagate. Mm -hmm. And that's a possibility because the Masagete were considered Saka and by the Greeks, and both the Huns and the Goths supposedly descended from the Masagete. And I believe you'll find that in Procopius. The writings of Procopius, the um, sixth century Greek historian. Okay, great. Um, I think I wrote about that in um, my German origin series. There's a lot of things that can't be understood conclusively because we don't have quite all the records to make all the connections. Mm-hmm. I, I try not to jump to conclusions that I can't document. Right. That makes sense. Is there anything else? Um, not off the top of my mind, no. Um, I can't recall any other questions right now. Well, it's been a great conversation. It's been great hearing from you and, and hearing your story. And I hope that people find it edifying. And I really hope that it helps some of our um, Orthodox friends. I, I, I mean, I hope that, that at least some of them listen to this presentation and, and consider some of the things that you've said. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, you know, uh... It's really tough not to crack, right? People don't want to break out of what they grew up in. And, and sometimes it'll make people feel dumb because they believed in something that was not as it appears to be. 
for a very long time in their life. But, um, well, that happens too, right? Well, well, absolutely. But I, I, I'm really thinking that um, the the only uh, the only answer to our problems as a people and the reconciliation of our race and and our religion is Christian identity. Nothing else works. Nothing else works for our people. There is no other answer. It, yeah, it's everything that these white nationalists could possibly want, right? Uh, like. It is the solution. It's just that um, they've got this hang-up over a misunderstanding of what it is, for example, I think. I mean, they, they really don't get what it is, right? So. No, but they really don't get ancient history either. So, I mean, unless they <laughs> want to take the time to study it, I mean, I'll talk to any of them, but... It, it seems that none of them want to talk to me, right? Uh, I mean, people have been on red ice asking them to interview me for six years, and, and they won't touch me. And, and they're not the only ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah, I, I get it. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to damage their brand either, right? Yeah, right. Basically, I think that's what it is. I mean, I, I don't that they've had some real quacks on with people with websites that are, aren't even the Alexa top two million, but they won't have me on. So I don't get it. <laughs> it's obvious that they don't want to feel threatened. That That's I mean, I'm not bragging. That's just the way I see it. I have no other reason. I have no other. I can't conceive another excuse. <clears throat> Well, it's been a pleasure, David, and and thank you for being here. Okay, thanks, Bill. Uh, it was great fun, and uh, yeah, I'll maybe see we'll you again, again sometime, sometime. I hope. Praise Christ. Thank you. Praise Christ. Bye-bye.